Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. We are one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. For more information about who we are and where we meet, please visit ChristchurchManchester.com. How do we live? How do we live from one day to the next day? What provides us with energy? Like, like even like keeps your organs working, keeps your brain functioning. What also can be the centre of community life, like a place or uh, something that friends or family can gather around and spend time together. It can also, this thing, be used creatively as a gift. You can give it to someone to say thank you or even to say sorry. Uh, it can be used to make people uh, feel special as you go out of your way to prepare something that's good for them. What is that thing? Well, the answer to all of those things is food. Food can do all of that stuff. And it doesn't matter actually what your position is in the world, you need food. So you can be Elon Musk, uh, richest man on the planet, he still needs to eat food. You could also be uh, the poorest uh, child in the world and you still need food. On that, they are exactly the same as each other. You can also be immensely clever and resourceful or perhaps a little bit slow-witted, but you still need foods. You could be a very healthy athlete like myself or a couch potato, a little bit like myself, uh, and you still need foods. Food is vital to humans, right? We, we need food. And why is that? Well, why is food so important? If you don't eat food, eventually you'll die. That's, so that's it's as simple as that, isn't it? We need food to make us live, to help us to live. And Jesus knew how important food was, and he used it to describe something equally powerful, more powerful, in fact, And we're going to look at what Jesus says uh, this evening. We're going to look in John 6. And in John 6.35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And as we're going to unpack this this evening a bit, and we're going to see it is just ram-packed full of meaning, full of layers and levels and application as well. Uh, some of it isn't, isn't super obvious on first reading, so we're going, to, we're going to do a bit of work this evening. We're going to follow this passage through, and you are going to stay with me from start to finish. I'm telling you that to give you the confidence to be able to do it, uh, and we will hopefully get some good stuff out of this, and uh, then we will spend some time worshipping, and we will take communion later. But as we understand this, we're going to see that there is some genuine power in what Jesus wants us to get here. Some power that can change lives and communities as well. And I think Jesus very simply is saying, in the same way you need food to live, you need me to live. So in the same way you need food to live, you need Jesus to live. And this is one of the I am statements that Jesus makes and that John uses, this I am the bread of life. There are a number of these I am statements. And he makes these statements because he wants people to understand who he is. And that is very important for us. And now you may think that's obvious, but let's take a few steps back and look at what's 
happening to Jesus in that moment and how people are responding to him. And and the people's responses to Jesus are very instructive in this story. So at the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. And Isaac taught us on this last week, and it was excellent. You should go to the podcast and listen to it. And this 5,000, although we think probably, as Isaac said, there were women and children there and they only counted the men, so it could have been anywhere around 15,000 people that Jesus fed. Uh, And they had been listening to his teaching. Jesus looks at them uh, and then asks the disciples, how much money have you got for foods? Uh, And we've got our youth here this evening and uh, Lauren ordered them a KFC, so uh, Jesus is uh, upgrading that quite significantly. And he looks at them and says, Uh, What can we do about food here? One of the disciples points out a lad who bought his packed lunch with him, uh, and we know the story. But Jesus takes this food and works a miracle so that every one of the people there is fed and there is loads of food left over. I actually heard that there was quite a bit of KFC left over this evening from the youth, and I think you're taking it home, aren't you, CJ? Well played to CJ. So he knows how some of the people felt in this moment. There's food left over, I'm taking a KFC home, and that's what he did. So uh, he, Jesus works this miracle. The people are fed. There's loads of food left over. The people see this as a miracle, and they look at Jesus, and they call him the prophet's. And in that moment, that's quite a big statement. They are comparing him to Moses. That is the the thing that pops into their heads. And we're going to see this a bit more as we go through this. But at that moment, they saw Moses. And Moses was the great leader of Israel. In fact, in all of Israel's history, Moses is probably the most important one to them, the most significant uh, for lots of different reasons. But Moses fed the people with manna from heaven, didn't he? As they were in the desert, they were getting hungry, and actually Moses prayed, and every day there was food there for them. There was this manna, it was called, this food on the ground that they could get and that they could eat. And so we see this kind of echo in this story of Exodus in Jesus' miracle. So Jesus fed 5,000 plus with a miracle. Moses fed a whole nation with a miracle. Under Moses' leadership, uh, Israel was fed with manna from heaven and the people look at Jesus and they see a brand new Moses. That's important to them, this this parallel. Uh, Perhaps someone like Moses who could lead them out from the oppression that they feel. Perhaps someone who could take them into freedom. Someone also who could provide food for them. They saw a king and a king should be able to provide food for his people. It's kind of a a bare minimum of a a leader of a nation that, okay, my people should be able to eat. But Jesus senses this and thinks that the, the people are missing the point somewhat of who he really is. And verse 15, it says, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force and make him a king, so Jesus can see what they're thinking, see how their minds are worrying, he can understand it. It says he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So why did Jesus do this? Why not actually just become the king? Surely that would have, you know, he would have gone some way to achieving what he wanted to do, perhaps help to get his message out, make some changes. But Jesus wasn't a king. Jesus was the king, 
the king of all eternity and all of creation. He wasn't just the leader of some scrappy people's revolution against the Romans or corrupt rulers of Israel. Actually, he was something much greater than that. He was the Messiah, the saviour that they were expecting, the king of everything. So Jesus departs. He thinks, I'm not, I'm not taking part in your small-minded plans. I'm getting out of here. And he goes up the mountain. And the disciples, they get in their boats and they head off to Capernaum. And as they're going across the, the sea, it begins to get a bit rough, gets a bit choppy. They row for a few miles and then they see Jesus walking across the water towards them. And they're pleased to see him. He gets in the boat and they get to Capernaum, okay? And you might think, well, that, we know that story. It's a famous story. But there is another echo of Exodus here. Moses parted the Red Sea by a miracle. So nature was obedient to God in that miracle. It's a, an astounding thing. And then Jesus walks on water because nature is obedient to him. So we see these parallels again of Jesus and Moses. And all that is going on here is meant to help the people, but also help us understand. Jesus is showing them, look, okay, a brand new exodus is going to take place. These the people are going to be taken out of something into something. They are going to be renewed and restored and taken into a new freedom. This is actually a very a kind of powerful concept he wants them to understand, wants them to realise what's happening. But the people don't, they don't quite get it. They don't really see what's going on. They see that Jesus and his disciples are gone. Hey, Jesus, they think, went up the mountain. Disciples got in boats, went to the other side of the lake. So they decide, okay, let's chase them. We'll get in boats as well. And they go across the lake too. And they find Jesus there and they ask him how he got over the lake because he didn't use it. We saw you go up the mountain. How did you get over here? And Jesus, as he kind of, he ignores the question. Things that aren't important, he tends to gloss. It just uh, brushes by. But verse 26 says, truly I say to you, you are seeking me. Go on, lads. You are seeking me because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. So Jesus is saying, look, you were hungry yesterday. You remember that? I fed you. 5,000 of you, I fed you. You're still hungry today, and so you've come to me for food. Basically, you asked me, for, you got dinner, and today you want breakfast. This is going to keep going forever. So Jesus says to them this, verse 27, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the gods, uh, for on him God the Father has set his seal. So he, he wants to look, lift your eyes a bit. Look at what's the big picture of what's going on here. Okay, try to understand. You're caught up in food because your tummies are rumbling, but try to lift your eyes to something bigger. And so verse 28, the people kind of answer back. They say, well, what must we do to be doing the works of God's? And Jesus said, this is the work of God's, that you believe in him who he has sent. So having heard this, they kind of listen to what Jesus says here, okay, believe in whom he has sent, and they decide to ask for a sign. Now, Israel has received plenty of signs from God in the past. It was very much part of their narrative, their story, that they would tell themselves. Uh, they would talk about the Exodus and all the signs that happened there, and many other stories in the Old Testament of signs from God, and it doesn't really seem to change their hearts. 
And they even refer back to that sign of the food that Moses provided for them in the desert. And so they say to him, well, then what sign do you do that we may, meet, we may see and believe you? Conveniently forgetting that he fed them with just a few loaves the day before. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. It's almost like they're saying, like, that miracle with 5,000 of us yesterday, it's not quite as good. It's not quite as clear as what Moses did. We would like another sign, please. Again, forgetting that he seemed to walk across the water to get to where he was. They, uh, they have very short memories. There is a problem with their interpretation of the events. What they're looking at and understanding, they're, they're not quite getting. They talk about it. He gave them bread from heaven, but what's this you've done, Jesus? And Jesus says to him again, look, truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. From the bread, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Okay, he's tr- moving them on, on another step to understand. And it's a, a breakthrough moment. Jesus is getting to his crucial point. They're trying to say, look, look at the whole plan that's in front of you. And they've been looking at little parts of the story, the bits that are right in front of them, but missing the whole sweep of it. He's saying, look, I'm not just another prophet. I'm not just another blessed human. I'm, in fact, directly from heaven. More than that, I am God. So the story of Israel's exodus out of Egypt is a hint towards what is going to happen with Jesus. So the people of Israel, in Jesus' time, they were longing for a king, like we've talked about. They were looking for someone who would lead them out of the oppression that they felt, lead them out from the poverty that they felt, actually, many of them, lead them out from the unfairness of the world as they felt it. And that is what they were looking for. They, the desire for the king that would overthrow the Romans was actually really very strong. It was a a nationalist fervor at the time. And Jesus had experienced this. That's why he decided, right, I'm going to get out of here. I'm I'm going up the mountain. So as they see Jesus perform these miracles, providing food for them like Moses, having power over nature, performing miracles, they're drawing some conclusions. But Jesus kind of is saying, look, what you want is not quite big enough. I'm going to do something much bigger, much more profound, much deeper than that. So the people say to Jesus, okay, okay, sir, give us this bread always. He's saying, look, there is bread from heaven. It's me. And they say, give us this bread always. And so he responds, he says, I am the bread. I am the bread of life. So they have been moved in their thinking from physical food to spiritual food. Moses provided Israel with actual food to eat. Jesus is making them think about something much, much deeper. As we can see, these are people who are desperate, desperate for something, desperate for food, actually. And they were a hungry people. They're not following Jesus around asking for food because they've got full cupboards. Actually, they were in a difficult situation. But in the same way that a hungry man is desperate for food, actually, the Israelites at the time were desperate for a saviour. And Jesus is there to truly satisfy that hunger. And so how does he do that? It's not what he does, it's who he is. 
Now, it's quite easy for me to stand up here and talk about this, actually, stand up here and say, uh, Jesus is the bread of life. It's quite a, quite a Christian thing to say, uh, and it, it, you know, it's pretty easy to stand and say that. But what does it mean? Even to say, look, Jesus satisfies our spiritual hunger. You think, okay, fine, Tim, but what do you actually mean by that? If Jesus can satisfy this hunger, then we need to know what hunger it is that he's talking about. What, what is this? So as God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, remember these two stories are kind of running parallel. God brings the Israelites out of Egypt because they cried out to him. It's part of their story. They were desperate. They cried out to their gods. And God wanted to have a people that would worship him. Humans are built and designed to be worshippers. Whether we realise it or not, we all worship something. It could be your job, it can be uh, relationships, it can be your own sense of self and identity, it can be the dreams that you have for your life, it can be your bank balance, financial security, it can be all sorts of things, but we all kind of put our hope in something. And God wanted and wants us to depend on him, to put our hope in him so that he can actually be our gods, that we would be his people and he would be our gods. So that the hunger that the Israelites felt back in the day of Moses was for freedom. That's why they're crying out. They wanted to be free. They wanted someone who would lead them, who would break them out of their slavery, to even be content as a people with their gods. And Jesus is the answer to that hunger. He doesn't intend to provide them with physical bread, although he can do that but instead a bread that satisfies the deeper human issue. And actually, this is still true today. Jesus is the answer to the rampant hunger problem. Even the the famine that we have in our own city, spiritual famine that is in Manchester, that need to worship something, to be fulfilled by something. Actually, Jesus is here to meet that. Now, a popular theme in, in our media, in modern media, is, is obesity. Okay, usually it comes around just after Christmas, but you watch it. If you watch the news, at some point, this will come through. There'll be a brand new diet that we need to go on, or there's been some new research, and you shouldn't eat too much sugar, and then another bit of research come out and say, it's not sugar that's bad, it's salt. Uh, and it's a kind of an ongoing thing uh, that we look at in, in our news. Uh, and if you were to stand up here and say, look, there is a famine in our country you think, well, that's probably not true, Tim. But actually, we are in a famine. We are in a spiritual famine. One of the reasons that we want to gather in the city centre and pray every lunchtime all the way through January is because we think this is a hungry city. Actually, it's a city that consumes because it is hungry. It's hungry for something. We believe that that something is Jesus. Now, we have to be... uh, think carefully about this. And Jesus actually was using food and the bread of life as a deliberately provocative statement, saying, actually, I am as important, more important than the food that you eat. A couple of years ago, uh, in northern Kenya, nearly 40% of the population were starving, like they didn't have enough food to keep them alive and were slowly dying. We would see this perhaps In Palestine, in the next few weeks, actually, food will run out there and people will slowly starve to death. It could be the case in many nations on our planet. Actually, 
There just isn't enough food for them. They don't have the ability or the infrastructure to be able to make food for themselves, and slowly they will starve. Even in our own city, actually, people rely on food banks. There'll be people in Manchester, mums and dads, who will eat less food so that their kids can eat. It will be a, a common issue in some parts of our city. So this isn't a glib point. Actually, Jesus isn't making this as a throwaway comment. Actually, fully understood the provocative nature of this. A country can starve from a lack of food, but it also can starve spiritually from a lack of Jesus. An individual can slowly waste away because they don't have enough food. They can slowly waste away because they are spiritually starving. They're bound in slavery, desperate for a king, looking for any king where they can find one, desperate to know some contentment in life, sense of purpose and meaning. What does it mean to be a human? What does it mean to do well in life? What does it mean to be fulfilled? That is the hunger there that Jesus is talking about. That's what it means to be hungry. So if Jesus is this bread of life, how do we find satisfaction in him? How, do we, how does he end our hunger? And he says, look, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So we come to Jesus and we believe in him. Now, how do we do that? How do we come to Jesus? So as we've seen, Jesus wants a people and he wants to be their king. Not just the small king of Israel a couple of thousand years ago, but the king of all creation, the king of all eternity. So Jesus is looking for people who will follow him. And if we read this passage, we we will hear the Israelites grumbling as they try and work out who this Jesus guy actually is. Uh, And a few verses later, they they actually say, isn't this... Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. It's a bit like, hang on a minute, I know his dad. How on earth can this be the Messiah? How does he even say he comes down from heaven? I mean, they're almost talking about a biological problem. We know where he came from. We know his mum, we know his dad. That's where Jesus comes from. But Jesus is saying, actually, I come from heaven. They wanted a king and a Messiah. But not only that, they wanted this king on their own terms. I know the sort of king that I want and I will construct him in the way I want him. When they were freed from Egypt, they treated God in the same way. Actually, they had to learn that God operates on his terms, not our terms. A number of years ago, I was meeting up regularly uh, with a guy who was part of our Fallowfield site and uh, he was just struggling with what it meant to follow Jesus. And he'd uh, been brought up in a Christian home. And he was like, Tim, I'm, I'm not quite sure I understand what it is, uh, what I believe. Uh, it's just been around me so much. I feel immersed in it, but I don't really know what it is. And so we, we met and we talked. And one day he came to me and he said, it's, it's kind of clicked a bit. I've realized, Tim, that I'm making God to be just a big version of myself. I'm making God be like the all-powerful version of me. That, that is what I've made him to be. So when God behaves in ways that aren't how I would behave, then I get upset with him. But I'm just making him to be a big version of me. He said, that's not right, is it? No, no, that's not right. God is not just a big version of you. Thankfully, he's not that limited. But he wanted a God on his own terms, a king on his own terms, a, a king of his own construction, Actually, I will worship the Jesus I want. And how often do we hear people say, 
if we're reading difficult things that Jesus says, oh, that's not what my Jesus would say. My Jesus would say very different things. So how do we come to Jesus? Do we say, okay, Jesus, here I am, now satisfy me. (laughs) Here are all the things I'm hungry in. You satisfy me, please. I don't think that's what he meant. When he says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. We are in that moment called to put Jesus in charge. To say, actually, Jesus, you know what I need. You know what makes me hungry. You know the food that I need. You know the drink that I need. We say, Jesus, you are in charge. You are now Lord and Saviour. You are actually the king of all creation and I will follow you. So when Jesus talks about being the bread of life, I think as well he has it in his mind a passage in Isaiah, okay? a, a part that, of the Jewish scriptures that they would have been very familiar with, so it would have been jumping out to other people as well. But Isaiah 55, I think, was in Jesus' minds. And uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can go to it, but it'll appear behind me. Uh, and it says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. So Isaiah 55 is about the total neediness of Israel, of the people of God, of humans, really. And it also shows the grace that God has, the compassion, the mercy, the kindness of God to actually provide for them. It paints a picture of the people of God as a dependent, as a child, really. Israel can't provide for itself because it's unable to. Spiritually and morally, they just weren't up to much. It is like a child in the house that comes to God asking for foods. And a good father wouldn't say, that's fine, you can have dinner. It will cost you 20 quid. Uh, that's how it'll be. But this is not what God does. He says, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. God didn't choose to save them because they were already a great and powerful nation. He wasn't looking for a nation. thinking, oh, they're brilliant at warfare. They seem very well organised. They're a great nation. I'm quite happy to be identified with them. I think our marketing brands match each other. It's going to be good. No, actually, he saved them because of the total opposite. They were desperate. They were crying out for him. They were bound in slavery. They were completely helpless. And the same is true for the people listening to Jesus. The same is true for our city, for Manchester. Completely bound and helpless. And it would have been hard for them to hear that. Okay? It's not actually an easy thing to hear. Somebody saying, you're, you're bound, in, you're in slavery, you're helpless, I'm here to save you. You might think, hang on a minute, that's, that's quite a hard thing to hear. I'm not sure I'm happy to hear that. And it was so difficult for them to hear, actually, they crucified Jesus for it. No, that's where it leads. They weren't ready to hear it. They killed Jesus for what he said about himself. And as hard as it was for them now, it is still difficult for us. Jesus is asking us to come to him and be satisfied in him. He is our satisfaction. Jesus wants us to see this is a story of his grace, his mercy, his kindness to us about how Jesus saves and satisfies. This is about how Jesus picks us up 
restores, redeems, puts us back together, but provides us with a future, provides us with purpose and meaning. Coming to Jesus and believing him means we don't go hungry, means there is fulfilment in life. And let's, let's end this with two questions, okay? Two questions uh, and then we'll worship. How do we eat this bread, this bread that's Jesus, and what happens when we do? And Isaiah 55 gives us a pretty good clue about this. How do we eat this bread? Well, if Jesus is the bread of life, how do you, how do you eat Jesus? Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7 says, Look, seek the Lord's while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord's that he may have compassion on him and to our God's for he will abundantly pardon. So how do you consume this bread? Well, it says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him. So how do you eat the bread of life? Call out to Jesus. It even says, call while he is near. You think the people listening to Jesus then as he, as he taught them realised, he's nearby, I can call out to him. And the same is true for us now. Jesus is nearby to us. We can call to him. We can pray. We can do like the Israelites did when they're in slavery, call out to their gods. The same is true for us. It says, let the wicked forsake his ways, the righteous man his thoughts. We call out to Jesus and then we direct our lives at him. We say, Lord, I will live in the way that you want me to. And he will abundantly pardon. That's the end kind of salvo of the statement. You direct your life at me and I will pardon you abundantly. I'm not looking at you when you turn up, tapping my watch, wondering where you've been. I'm not giving you a hard time for the whole list of things that you've done wrong. Actually, I have compassion on you and I will abundantly pardon. It's a pretty powerful statement to make, right? So what happens then when we eat this bread? So how do we eat it? You can call out, ask God, ask him into your life. And what happens when we eat? Well, as we said at the beginning, If you do not eat food, you will die. We know this about food, right? You have to keep eating to live. And Jesus knew this and was offering himself as an example of this. How to live forever, actually. Jesus is talking about eternal life here. In verse 58, it says, This is the bread that comes down from heaven, not like the bread your father ate. So he's remembering this Moses story and saying, Look, I'm doing something better than what Moses managed then. Because they ate that manna, but they all died eventually. And in fact, the generation that ate manna in the desert following Moses, none of them made it to the promised land. They all died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said, look, if you call on me, if you direct your life at me, you'll be abundantly pardoned, but you will live forever. He is promising eternal life to those who follow him. And when he says eternal life, he's explaining, look, my kingdom is going to last forever. And those who follow me actually will be part of that eternal kingdom. And we will experience what Jesus experienced when he was killed on the cross and then was brought back to life. He said the same thing will happen to you. When you die, you will then be resurrected like I was into this new kingdom, this new heaven and earth. That's what it means to eat the bread of life isn't just keep you alive until your next meal, but slowly you're going to die anyway. Actually, this bread of life brings eternal life to you. 
So he's promising something eternal and powerful, right? Now, it's easy to think, okay, well, that's a bit abstract, Tim, if, I, if I'm honest. So Jesus is promising eternal life. Okay, that's hard to get my head around, but I, I can go with that. But he's also promising something a bit more than that. He's actually saying that there is a quality of life that you will have now that I am promising you that comes from a deep satisfaction that can be found in him. And Isaiah 55 carries on and gives us a final clue on this. Go to verse 10. It says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my words be that goes from my, from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. Incidentally, John, who kind of recorded all the stuff that Jesus said here, he also describes Jesus as the word. That's one of the ways he uses to describe Jesus. So when Isaiah says the words will go out, actually there's a little hint about Jesus going out and how he will succeed. Says it will not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I've sent it. Jesus succeeds. As the bread of life, he will fulfill. He brings eternal life, but also he brings a satisfaction to you now. He brings a new way of living to you now. It goes on in Isaiah, says, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. There isn't a lot of joy and peace in the world, like genuine peace that fulfills, peace that lasts. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. Basically saying, instead of weeds, there'll be really good plants that are good for you and that you can eat off, not just, you know, weeds. So he's saying all of creation will change. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. When Jesus goes out, when his word is sent out, actually it brings full satisfaction. When we eat of him, when we direct our lives at him, when we call on him and when he forgives us abundantly, it brings peace and joy to us. In the same way you need food to live, you need Jesus to live. Thanks for listening. Christchurch Manchester is one church that meets in various locations across Greater Manchester. To explore this sermon or learn more about our church, please navigate to the links provided in this podcast description. From there, you can connect with us on social media. And you're welcome to check out the music links featured in this episode from our very own musicians. You can also discover current events and information about where we meet on Sundays and various groups or community projects that you can join in with. If you're interested in knowing more about us or wish to join us for one of our meetings, please reach out. Simply drop us an email at hello at ccm.org.uk. We look forward to connecting with you.